every woman in any congregation, including ours, Mother's Day is filled with emotional highs and emotional lows. It's a day where a pastor has to be really, really careful in the way he chooses his words to, to make sure that we're balanced on this view of, of motherhood because there's so much emotion behind it. First of all, we ought to lift up and celebrate motherhood on a day like this. Isn't that true? We ought to celebrate it. We do so because God's word is abundantly clear that being a mom is a really big deal, that there's an eternal weight of glory behind it. And so before we're done this morning, we're going to acknowledge all those in the audience who are mothers because you are deserving of our gratitude and our honor. But the other side of the coin is this. Mother's Day isn't always a celebration for everyone. For some, for some folks here, it actually brings up more painful memories than anything else. Think of a, a mother who has lost a child or someone who's celebrating one last Mother's Day with a mom who's perhaps dying. Women who we know who would love to be mothers but aren't and may never be, it's very painful. Some folks who've had abusive moms, mothers whose adult children are not walking with the Lord, or there's been a, a break in the relationship between a mom and her adult kids. So those types of situations are always among us as well on a day like this. So we want to hold on to a biblical balance. First of all, we can and should mourn over all the consequences of the fall related to motherhood. I'm talking about infertility and miscarriages and abortions and wayward children and and so many more things. But at the same time, we can and should rejoice over everything that's beautiful and right about the privilege of being a mom. All those things that shine as a testimony to God's goodness and mercy in motherhood. And as you wrap all that up and you, you start thinking about all the mixed emotions and all that stuff going on, it reminds us that one day, one day, finally and fully, God is going to set everything right. And he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Amen? Amen. So let's, let's do what we've been doing over the last few Sundays. Let's back up to verse 9. We're going to read verses 9 through 12, although we're focusing on verse 12. 9 through 13 really is one unit of thought in the way Paul is moving through this particular chapter. So let's begin with verse 9 and, and read from there. Paul writes this, Let love be without hypocrisy. Now that's the NAS version. What he's, what he's getting at here is let love be real. Let it be sincere. Let it be genuine. Let it be without hypocrisy, saying one thing and doing another, talking about love but not living it out. Let it be real and genuine and sincere. Abhor what is evil, he writes. Cling to what is good, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. We talked about this last Sunday. That's that family element that goes with the exhortation here. We're to prioritize a certain devotion to those in our spiritual family those here in the local church. We're always to seek to put the needs of others before our own. So there's that family element there in verse 10. Then we come to verse 11, and we're to do that very thing with a certain zeal and energy. Verse 11, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now here's our verse for this morning. And as we arrive at it, it's clear that as Paul is working through this, he's got two big things on his mind. Number one, love, and number two, service. So how does that get fleshed out in our lives? Verse 12, three ways. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, being devoted to prayer. So as we look at those three, those three things, moms, are those three practical things in your life? Any of you experience a little bit of tribulation? No? Your, your, your mothering is just perfect and 
Your kids are absolutely obedient. No, we all experience this tribulation, right? That's number one. Any of you guys need hope in your mothering? Wow. Yeah? Okay, good. And in all those challenges that you face, are any of you relying upon prayer? Three really important things. But notice, as I said earlier, these things aren't just for moms. This is for all of us, for every believer seeking to walk faithfully with Christ in this world. So let's break these three phrases down here and see what God has for us this morning. First of all, let's start with the middle one. We'll start there as sort of the baseline here. Let's look at that, persevering in tribulation. Now, the Greek noun that's used here for that word tribulation literally means a pressing together. Picture of vice. Don't picture your head in that vice, but something like that. A vice, this this pressing together. It's a reference to something that's being put under intense pressure. So sometimes you'll find it in other translations, not just tribulation, but distress or affliction. And that seems to be like our life, doesn't it? We seem to be under pressure all the time. It seems we're being pressed and squeezed and put under pressure by all kinds of circumstances and things that are coming upon us. And folks, that is the normal experience of life today, isn't it? How many of you guys think that life has been getting more complex as we get closer to Jesus returning? It is. So this is the normal experience for every person on the earth who lives under the sun. And this is important to understand also for believers. Also for you and for me. We don't get a pass, do we? We don't get a pass from, from, from not only the, the mundane things that come into our life, simple things like, like sickness and traffic and, and the, the things that sort of just annoy us, but we also don't get a pass from the really serious things that happen in life, things like accidents and tragedies and even death. And Jesus told us that would be true. He said, in this life, you will have tribulation. He said that to his closest followers. And of course, history tells us that that's true. Take Paul for an example, the very, the very man who wrote this particular letter. As an apostle, he experienced enormous affliction in his life, didn't he? I mean, you can read about it. Enormous distress in his life, both physical and emotional, even as he gave his entire life to the ministry of the gospel. He experienced all kinds of tribulation. Now, if we adopt a really simplistic view of how God works in the world, which so many uninformed people do today, foolish people, it would make sense that the very opposite principle would be true. Think about this. If you love and serve God then life should go well for you. That's what most people think. You talk to the average person on the street, if you love and serve God, well, he should take care of you. He should make your life super comfortable and and, and completely secure, right? But we know that that's not the fact. That's not the case at all. Look at Jesus. I mean, Paul's one example, but look at Jesus. Has anyone ever been more righteous than Jesus? Has anyone ever been more obedient to the Father's will than Jesus? Well, based on a comparison of his life with ours, I would say that none of us has any right to experience less tribulation than he did. Maybe you've never thought of it that way, but it's a good way to look at it. But if we do, if we do experience less tribulation than Jesus or Paul, and if we do have more comfort than them or any of other of God's servants, it's owing to what? Simply to God's mercy, not to anything that we've earned. Not to anything that we're we're somehow worthy of. It's owing all to God's mercy. We don't deserve. We don't deserve, nor have we somehow earned, peaceful, comfortable lives under the sun. 
They're always merciful gifts. And that's something that we should always remember. That's something we should always be reminding ourselves of as we walk together through life. And we should always be grateful for. So that's the baseline attitude that we need to have in life. Expect it to be hard. It was promised to us, so expect it. Now, I know that's hard. In America, we feel like we can buy our way into all kinds of comfort and happiness, don't we? We believe that somehow because we live in this country in this time that we're entitled to something more than that, but we're not. Scripture tells us very clearly this is what we're to expect. Peter's actually a little bit sarcastic when he writes in his first epistle. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials that come upon you as though something strange were happening to you. He says, why do you think that this is odd? You've been promised this. And he goes on to tell us that these things come upon us for a very particular reason. He says, for our testing. Now, you say, well, why would that be? Is, it, is God just, does God just want to play games with us? No. It's because that process of testing through trials produces really good stuff in us, which we'll get to a little bit later. Things that we need as believers, things like patience and endurance and hope and a greater dependence upon God and upon prayer. Tribulation, listen to this, is the setting where what we love really begins to come to the surface. It tests us. When we go through hard times, we're going to run to something, aren't we? So tribulation is always going to show us what we really value, what we really love. What we turn to when the heat and the pressure is turned up can reveal idols in our life. So what does Paul exhort us to do in the midst of tribulation? Moms, how do you do it? Stop and think for a second. I don't, it doesn't matter if you're a mom of little ones or adult kids. How do, you, how do you survive in the midst of these tribulations? How do you deal with it? Well, Paul tells us in verse 12 what we're supposed to do. He says what? Persevere. Endure it. Remain steadfast in the midst of this affliction. Should we pray and go home? Is that it? Because that's easier said than done, isn't it? But there's more to it than that, right? He says, this is how we're to do it, by rejoicing and hope. And that brings us to the first phrase, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time today, because this really is critical to understand, especially for moms, but for all of us. How is it that we rejoice in hope? What does that mean? Now, we often get hope and faith confused. So we're going to try to clear some of that up today so we can understand what it means. What is our hope and how do we rejoice in it? What's the difference between faith and hope? It's understandable that we confuse it because those two things are directly related to each other. A couple Sundays ago, I, I mentioned that very famous uh, passage, the, the very famous wedding verse from 1 Corinthians 13 that everybody knows, right? But now these three things remain. What are they? Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, is love, right? And I ask the question, well, why is that? I mean, those are all three really important things. They're bedrocks of the Christian faith. So why is love the greatest of all? And the reason is simple, because love is eternal. We're going to love for all eternity. We're going to love God and love Jesus and love the Holy Spirit and love each other for all eternity. But the other two things are temporal. We're not going to need faith someday because we're going to see. And our hope will be fulfilled when we're in the presence of Christ. So that's why love is the greatest. But for now, for a time, we live in a world and we live in these earthly bodies where our faith and our hope carry us along as we fix our eyes on Jesus. And that's, that is such an important concept. Our faith and our hope continue to carry us forward as we fix our eyes on our, our, our Savior, right? The author and perfecter of our faith. 
as we're, we're heading towards home, our true home in heaven, our faith and our hope carry us along. So let's start by defining faith. And most of you know this. It's pretty simple. But, but if we can understand what faith is, that will lead us to a workable definition of hope. Simply put, faith is a complete trust or confidence in something. A complete trust or confidence in something. It involves taking a series of facts, testing them, examining them, and approving them, and then having a confident trust in those facts. So I could say, the sun will rise tomorrow. I could say, my wife loves me. I can say, Jesus is Lord. Now, technically, all those things could be false, right? I can't know those things for sure. They could be false. There could be some crazy cosmic thing that happens tomorrow that causes the sun not to rise, right? It could happen. I mean, it's possible, I suppose, that Tanny could wake up tomorrow and say, I don't love you anymore. Thank you. (laughs) That was the test of the morning right there. Good answer, sweetheart. And yes, there remains the logical possibility that I am terribly deceived and Jesus really isn't Lord. But the facts tell me otherwise. I've, I've looked into these things. I've looked carefully at them. I've, I've tested them. I've approved them. And they're now rock solid in my mind and my heart. I have a confident faith, a complete trust that the sun will rise tomorrow, that Tanya does love me and that Jesus is Lord. And that's faith. That's faith. We all have faith in certain things. Now, we talk about hope. We're talking about the anticipation of something that's going to happen. We're future-oriented, right? Faith comes first. First, you put your faith in a set of facts, and then you hope in the culmination of what's going to come from those facts. Let me say that again. First, you put your faith in that set of facts. Then you hope in the culmination of what will come from those facts. So I'll give you an example to make this really easy. Anytime we have a Dodger analogy, this is a good one. So a young father says to his son, hey, hey, uh, buddy, tomorrow we're going to go to the Dodger game. Okay? That boy has a confident assurance that they will go to the game. Why? Because he's put his faith in the trustworthiness of his father's word. His father's proven himself faithful in the past. The son has looked at all the facts that he can imagine in his mind and say, dad said it, we're going. He has faith in that particular truth. Make sense? And the anticipation of seeing the Dodgers play and the excitement of being at the ballpark with his dad, that's the hope. It starts with faith that that's going to happen, and then comes the excitement and the anticipation. It's going to happen. Now I'm pumped. I'm going to be at that ball game. And so hope springs out of faith. Does that make sense? Good. Now, there's a couple of questions we have to ask about the specific hope that Paul's talking about here in verse 12 because he's not talking about Dodger games, right? not talking about baseball. So let's ask a couple questions. Number one, first of all, what is the root of this hope that we have? Now, we read this back in Romans chapter 5. In fact, we lingered on this for quite a while. Romans chapter 5 says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So hear this now. Our hope springs out of justifying faith. Our hope comes from justifying faith. God declares us righteous on the basis of Christ's righteousness and his blood shed for our sins. That is the only basis that any of us has for acceptance with God. True? Justification by faith alone on the basis of Christ alone. Now, how do we know that's true? Why should we have faith in that? Well, 
It's like that little boy who wants to go to the Dodger game. We put our faith in the trustworthiness of the word of our father, his word, right? We've looked at all the set of facts concerning God and the Bible and Jesus and our sin and the cross and the resurrection. We've tested all that. We've approved it. And those things are now rock solid in our minds and hearts. We have absolute faith in those things. So from that justifying faith, which is a gift from God, we now have this hope that's born in us. Second question there. So what is our hope? What is it that we're actually hoping for? If we know those things to be true, we have a confident assurance in it. Now, what is this exciting hope that we have? Guys, we could spend the next hour talking about it because it's that great. It's that exciting. Think about this. How about the appearing of Jesus? Anybody, anybody excited about that? Any moment would be just fine. Or if that doesn't happen, the fact that we get to pass from this life and enter into his very presence and see our Savior face to face. If that doesn't get your blood pumping, I don't know what will. Then that is exciting. That is a hope. Being in his presence, worshiping him with all the other saints from every generation for all eternity. Man, the wiping away of every tear, the end of all suffering and death, the glorification of our bodies, the fact that we're going to be purified for the first time in our existence, we will understand what it means to be without sin. Man, we have a lot of things to look forward to. There's so much to be excited about. How about when we read about this great inheritance that we have? Is we're, we're, we are sons and daughters of the great king, and there's this amazing, imperishable inheritance waiting for us. Aren't you guys excited to see it and experience it and live it? That's the hope that we have. It's built on justifying faith. But the hope is the anticipation, the excitement. Again, go back to that little boy. He knows tomorrow I'm seeing the Dodgers. He can picture the Dodger Stadium in his mind. He can, you know that first moment you come into the stadium and boom, the field just is laid out in front of you, all those pretty colors and the Dodger blue and all that. That's such an exciting moment. The boy's thinking about those Dodger dogs, grilled. The grilled ones, right? Not the boiled ones, the grilled ones, right? And, and the peanuts. He's thinking about the peanuts. I'm thinking about it. He can see in his mind's eye the players coming out of the dugout and taking the field. He can hear the crack of the bat and the roar of the crowd. And so because he's so excited, this hope that he has in this game tomorrow, he can barely sleep. He's so excited. So what about us? Are we living that way? Is that hope that we have? Now, we have justifying faith. Is that hope that we have, is that driving us to that same type of excitement and anticipation of the glory that we're going to share with Jesus someday? It's amazing. Sometimes we can forget these things, right? We get so lost in our life, and we get maybe wrapped up in, in, in all kinds of mundane things, and we forget about this great hope that we have, the hope of glory. And so Paul says to the Corinthians, therefore, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart in this life. Life is hard, but we don't lose heart, he says. For this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Well, we can't even imagine it, can we? While we look not at the things which are seen, right, the things that we can see, but at the things which are unseen. For the things that are seen, are they're just temporal. They're, they're, they're passing away. But the things which are unseen are eternal. Guys, that was the hope that sustained Paul all through his tribulations. And he went through way more than any of us. That's what sustained him. He understood that his trials, they weren't meaningless. They weren't absurd. 
They weren't pointless. He understood that God was preparing him for something far greater, for something beyond even what he could imagine, beyond comparison. And that outcome, he knew, would far outweigh every moment and every measure and every degree of suffering that the world could throw at him. The same is true of us today. That's why we persevere in tribulation. This is our hope, friends. It's grounded in the blood and the righteousness of Christ, and its goal is the experiencing of the glory of God with Jesus for all eternity. Doesn't get better than that. Now, so far we've talked about what faith is and how hope springs out of faith, but there's this last aspect we have to look at, and that's the issue of joy. Look at joy. Notice how Paul writes, rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. So what Paul's doing, and I've got a very simple diagram on the screen here. He's doing something that we we talk about in, in biblical writing we call scaffolding. He's building one level on top of another. He's building an edifice of truth, one thing on top of another, starting with faith. And what is faith built on? The trustworthy word of God. And then hope springs out of faith. And now joy emerges from hope. He's scaffolding. He's building this thing for us. That's why we're joyful, right? Because of the hope we have. The word of God gives us the truth. We we look at those set of facts. We have faith, and that faith gets us excited. We have this hope, and from this hope, we have incredible joy, or at least we're supposed to. How many of you guys have heard people say out there in the world, Christians are probably the least joyful people I've ever met? What are we missing? How, How have we missed this? How have we missed faith, hope, and joy? We ought to be careful on this. Now, here's the key which combines these first two phrases in verse 12. Rejoicing in hope as we persevere through tribulation. Moms, hear this carefully. You can have great joy even in the midst of all of the challenges of motherhood, all of the afflictions of motherhood. How? And again, this is the key. Look at the diagram on the screen. If you possess true justifying faith and you've been born again, that's level one, and then your hope is secure, that's level two, that you're bound for eternal glory according to God's unshakable promise. Therefore, because your hope in the future is secure, let me ask you this question. What circumstances could steal your joy? If those things are secure, your faith is, is, is rooted in truth. If your hope comes from that faith and you know what your future is going to be, what in the world, what in this world could rob you of joy? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. And listen, I'm not trying to minimize the pain that we go through on earth because it's very real. Some of us have suffered greatly. I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to trivialize anyone's affliction because life is not a picnic. All I'm saying is this. None of it can take away your joy in Christ. None of it. And therefore, we can and should maintain our joy in the midst of tribulation. And that was Paul's point. He said, we don't lose heart as Christians. This affliction's only momentary. And compared to what we're going to receive, it's rather light. So I'll look to the things which are unseen and eternal, and that's where I'm going to find unshakable joy because I know what lies before me. Moms, dads, singles, everybody, that's how we maintain our joy. That's how we rejoice in hope. I think we've seen an amazing example of that here in our body just this last week with the Hubs family. Some of you guys were a part of that. You you saw what was going on. Here's this, this, this young man full of life who 
gets in this car accident and one minute he's undergoing surgery for his leg, the next he's laying in a bed completely unresponsive. And you're looking at him, you're saying, how can this be? This is a, this is a godly family and a, and a kid who actually got into an accident while serving the Lord. And here he is lying in a hospital bed, cannot respond to anything, brain not functioning, his life hanging in the balance. How are we supposed to respond to that? Was there grave concern? Absolutely there was. Was there weeping? Yeah, there was. But not as those who have no hope. That's the key. There was weeping. It, again, it, we're mourning the fall and all the things that can happen in this life. But there wasn't mourning as those who have no hope. It was different. It was different. See, deep beneath the concerns and the tears, there was a strong confidence among the Hubs family that God was still on his throne, that God was still sovereign over all the conditions and all the circumstances that were happening, and that his promise remains. And this is what we prayed. Lord, that you would work good from this. That's your promise to us, right? That all things work together for good for those who love you and were called according to your purpose. And we prayed that over Jordan. And we claimed it as truth. And so even as the family stood and they sat and they stood and they sat for many, many hours in that hospital praying for Jordan's recovery, there was still faith and there was still hope. And you know what? There was still joy. There was still joy. Because we knew confidently that God was going to work good through this. And you guys know, even today as we sit here, we've seen day after day of progress with Jordan. He continues to respond. He fed himself yesterday. He had, he's starting to speak words of conversation with people. He's recognizing people. There's the slow recovery of his brain. Keep praying. But wow. What, 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 I mean, right as we're preaching this particular verse, God gave this church family an amazing example to examine and to look at. Faith, hope, and joy. It reminds me again of Paul's words in Romans 5. We studied this at length. Paul says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and not only this, but we also rejoice in our tribulations. What? How is that possible? Knowing that tribulation brings about really good stuff. Perseverance. And perseverance produces proven character, and proven character produces and hope never disappoints. Why? Why does hope never disappoint? Because God is faithful. He always fulfills his promises. Our hope is secure. So these things are all tied together. Christian joy and hope and perseverance are not found apart from tribulation. Catch that now. You're like, I want those things. I just don't want the hard stuff. I don't, you know, Lord, give me all those things in, in, in abundance. But could we leave the, the trials aside? Give them to somebody else. But they're not found apart from tribulation. They're, they're found in the midst of tribulation. Sometimes they're found because of tribulation. And to me, the cool thing in this is as sons and daughters of the Most High, we don't, we don't just have to be passive recipients of tribulation. We don't just have to tolerate tribulation in this life. In a world where God is sovereign, he makes tribulation serve us. Think about that. It serves to grow us and mature us and make us stronger. It's not easy. I'm not saying any of this is easy, guys. But it does grow us and mature us and make us stronger. In God's economy, affliction goes from being our master to our slave. And what Satan means for our destruction, God means to turn it around for good. These are the promises we have in God's word. We claim those things. 
By the way, do you doubt that? I know some of you guys, are, you're sitting here, you're going, nah, I don't like this. I don't want this. I don't like to talk about tribulation. I just, wanna, I just want my comfort, my security. I get it. If you doubt it, I want you to go back up to verse 2 in, in Romans chapter 12 because there Paul said, renew your mind. Hey, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're thinking this way, I want you to stop. Don't, don't think like the world. I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that your thinking comes into line with God's good and holy and acceptable and perfect will. Be transformed. Finally, let's look quickly at this last phrase in chapter 12. Man, I wish we had more time for this, but we don't. We're going to talk about prayer. It's one of the most important things you can do to persevere well in tribulation, to be devoted to prayer. Now, there's all kinds of different translations of that last phrase. My New American Standard says devoted to prayer. I like that, but you'll also find persistent in prayer, constant in prayer, faithful in prayer, all of which carry a similar idea. Here it is. And this is a command, by the way. As children of God, we ought to be dedicated to the task of praying. We ought to be dedicated to the task of praying. And man, do we all need to grow in this. I've never met one Christian in all my life who says, man, my prayer life is on track. I mean, I am just filled to the brim with prayer. I think all of us feel like we fall short in this area. But man, moms, Mother's Day, right? You guys, can you use more prayer? Can you use more time for prayer? Absolutely. We all can. Now, don't misunderstand what Paul's writing here. When he says to be constant in prayer, doesn't mean you're praying every single minute of every day. That's impossible. What it means is persist in this. Keep at it. Stay with it. You are going to want to quit. Man, in, in some regards, it's like going on a diet. You're going to want to quit. Don't. Stay with it. There is power in prayer. James tells us, right? For a man or woman who is, who is seeking God's face and righteousness, the prayers of the saints are what? Powerful and effective. Man, we, sometimes we think we can, we can run off and, and fix things and get things done. When it'd be so much better if we just spend another 10 minutes in prayer asking God to get those things done for us, right? And we spin our wheels. We're like, I don't understand why God's not doing these things for me. Well, have you prayed about it? Have you really sought the Lord's face in righteousness? Have you trusted, have you trusted that promise that your prayers are powerful and effective? Persist in it. Stay at it. Don't quit. Be devoted to it. Make it a habit regardless of your circumstances. Because that's what gets in the way, right? Like I really, nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, I have no desire to pray. I don't want to pray. I don't, I, we all say, I really want to pray. But then what happens? I got life to get to. Stuff's happening, right? Text messages are coming in. I got to post that social media thing. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's all these things that, that sort of the, the tyranny of the urgent. And pretty soon, what gets squeezed out? Time with the Lord. Prayer time. So you're going to want to give up, but don't do it. In other words, treat prayer the same way you treat all the other essential tasks of your life, like eating and drinking water, right? And, and, and taking a shower and sleeping and doing your job. It's a discipline that we all need, and it's a discipline that brings real fruit into our lives. How do we know that our prayers are going to be fruitful? Because we worship, serve, and pray to a faithful God who loves you, as his child, who loves to hear your prayers and is anxious and eager to jump in and answer your prayers. He's an attentive God to his children. And so we know we never waste time in prayer. It's powerful and effective. And 
Think about this. What a privilege we have, you guys, brothers and sisters, to approach the very throne room of God and to praise him, first of all, for who he is, to thank him for what he's done, and then to bring our own prayer requests to him, the own, our own troubles and distresses and tribulations of life, and then to enter in for the purpose of blessing others, to plead their cause before the throne of grace. Who wouldn't take advantage of that? So be devoted to this, Paul says. What does that mean? I, among other things, I, th I think what that means is don't just pray when a crisis pops up in your life. That's not, a, that's not a bad thing to do, but that's not being devoted to prayer. Don't just pray over your meals in some traditional rote way. It's a good thing to pray over your meals, but that's not being devoted to prayer. Don't just throw up a help me Lord when you're running late to work and there's traffic on the five south. That's not being devoted to prayer. All those things are fine in the moment, but that's not persistence. That's not constancy. It ought to be more than that. So let me encourage you in this, because being devoted to prayer is very, very difficult in the context of our busy world. We can all admit that. And the prayer life of any two people is not going to look the same. So let me encourage you with that. There is no formula for this. Just be devoted to it. We're all different, different personalities. We have, we have different schedules. We have unique family dynamics. We're in different stages of life. So there's no real formula to this. I wish there was. It'd be so nice if I could do a, if I could do a sermon of just you know, eight steps. Here's the formula. Make this happen. And if you do this and this and this, then this. That's not the way it works. Why? Because God wants relationship in this. He doesn't want a formula. He doesn't want something rote. He doesn't want something ritualistic. He wants you. As his child, he wants you. In communication, reading his word, asking him for help, confessing your sin, praising his name. He wants all of that from us. So there's no formula. Now, I could say a lot of practical things about prayer. We could do a whole preaching series on prayer. But for today, let me just share one little nugget. And maybe this is really best for moms on Mother's Day. One little nugget, one little tip that might help you in terms of being devoted to prayer. There should be times when your prayers are both planned and structured and times when they should be free and unstructured. Both of those things are necessary. The second one there is what we call abiding with Christ. And that word is so powerful. What does it mean to abide in the vine? It means to remain with him. It means to dwell with Jesus. It means, I know it's an old, an old uh, illustration, but the old you know, dial-up, you guys remember, does anybody remember dial-up connection? Okay. Yeah. That awful sound, right? Where, where we go through life on our own and then we suddenly dial in with God. No, this is an open, free-flowing connection. It never closes. We're simply abiding with Jesus. We're constantly praying to him as the day unfolds. And so our, our sort of free and unstructured prayers are going to feel organic and they're going to feel informal. They're going to probably be very short Short bursts of praise and thanks or a quick prayer request in a difficult moment. And guys, those are so valuable for a busy mom to be praying all the time in those short bursts. Because look, that little one may not give you the type of time that you need to really linger in prayer. But don't take that for granted. You have that free and unstructured access to God 24-7. But here's the thing, that reality shouldn't squeeze out a more formal approach to prayer either, a very planned and structured prayer. Again, for moms, it might have, it might have to be during nap time 
or once you put the baby to bed or once your kids are finally tucked away. But you've got to have that planned time, a time where you, you actually schedule to meet with God and where you linger there. You just linger at the throne with his word, with your requests, with your praises, listening for his voice by the Holy Spirit as you read God's word. You linger there. You can just sit and abide with him in everything. But again, let me say this. This is so important. In order to do that, you've got to plan it. It's not going to happen on accident. Isn't that true? Anybody testify? That's not going to happen on accident. You're not going to suddenly just stumble into 30 minutes of free time these days. Nobody has that. It's got to be planned. It's got to be scheduled. For those of you who struggle with formal prayer, maybe you're like, I don't know really what to say to God formally. Or I don't know how to navigate my way through that. There are so many tools that can help you. All you have to do is ask. There are elders who can help you with that. There There are mature ladies in the church who can help you, ladies, to navigate through those things. You can simply open God's word and pray the commands you see in scripture. Did you know that? You can pray the very promises of God in scripture. It can be as simple as that. God loves to hear us pray his word back to him. You can use a prayer list. So if you guys are administratively minded, you should have a prayer list. Members, you get a member directory every month. You can go through the member directory and just pray for other families. So use lists. You can pray through a book like Valley of Vision. These beautiful Puritan prayers that you can then apply to your own life and say, Lord, this is beautiful. I want this as well. You can pray effectively in patterns. People, there's all kinds of patterns. You can do what they call concentric circles. I start with praying for my own soul. Then I extend that to my family, to my elder team, to my church family as a whole, and then out to the ends of the earth with with missionaries and, and that the gospel would go forth in circles. There's all kinds of patterns that you can pray. But we ought to have both of these things. Guys, don't don't unplug and try, to, and try to plug in with God. You have an open conduit to the throne of grace 24-7. You ought to have free and unstructured abiding with God. But then also make sure that you plan specific prayer time. Moms, you need this. And you know this, right? Okay. So let me close by coming back to where we started. Back to that blog post I mentioned at the outset. Listen to, the word, listen to her words. In light of what we've just studied, listen to her words again. Death is at work in me so that life can be, work, can be at work in my children. Death is at work in me. I'm dying to myself, she says, so that, so that life can be at work in my children. Dying to myself, putting the needs of others before myself. That is a mom's heart. Right? I die to myself so that I can put the needs of my kids before myself. Beautiful. That's the type of genuine love that Paul's talking about here in Romans 12. When he says, let love be without hypocrisy, let it be real, let it be sincere and genuine, that's what we're talking about. That is the way of Jesus, putting the needs of others first. That is the way of the cross. It is self-sacrificial. Not lacking in diligence, fervent in spirit, always serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, and always devoted to prayer. Moms, I don't have any better advice for you on this Mother's Day than what Paul says in Romans 12, 12. I don't have any better advice. I don't have any better advice for all of us here. In this life, you will have tribulation, ladies. Your kids and your husbands will see to it. But be steadfast. Persevere, Paul says, as you focus your eyes on the eternal hope that you've been given 
in Jesus. And listen to me in this, rejoice in that because your hope is secure, because your future is secure, because you will be with Jesus for all eternity. And all this momentary light affliction will pass away. It will fade away. And what will be left? This imperishable inheritance, this glory that we will have with Jesus for all eternity. Rejoice in that. Let the tribulation of life and motherhood drive you deeper into the soil of faith and hope and joy. And when you feel weak, moms, when you feel weak, and you will, you feel like you're losing the battle, good. When you feel weak and you're losing the battle, that's good because that's when you're ready to depend more on God and less on yourself. Isn't this the countercultural way of, of Christ? That's when you become more dependent. That's when you're actually ready to grow and mature in the faith. That's when God is going to respond to you with greater grace than you've ever experienced before. When you feel weak, when you begin to say, I'm a failure, and you begin to depend on him. Is that a great hope for motherhood? Man. I read another great article this week by another mom. I'm going to finish with her words. Let this encourage you, moms. Here's what she writes. She says, many days I wonder if I missed out on some key information or skill that other moms have. I don't seem to have it all together. My kids are always at each other's throats. I never seem to be on time. And I can't remember the last time I dusted. My life feels more like a whirlwind than the way life is portrayed on all those peaceful baby commercials where the, room, where the mom spends her day snuggling with her giggling child. She says, I don't like to be a mess. I prefer my life orderly and under control. I want an organized calendar and a to-do list with black lines drawn through everything. Ooh, that's dangerous. She says, I want children who listen the first time and a house where everything's picked up. I want to leave the house early for every appointment. Here's the key phrase. Being weak and helpless used to mean admitting failure. But here's the thing, she says, I've given up on perfect. I face the reality that I don't have it all together. Instead of trying to do it all, I've learned to let God manage my days. Rather than mother in my own strength, I parent through my weakness and on my knees. Each day, I come before God broken and helpless. I give him my messy life as a mother and receive in return the grace of the gospel. I've learned to embrace my weakness and messiness, not because my failures are good, but because they open the door to God's grace. And I'd rather wear dirty clothes and have my hair a mess than pretend that life is perfect. Because then I get to wear the best fashion of all, the priceless, perfectly white robes of righteousness that belong to my Savior. That's beautiful stuff. That's motherhood. That's what it means. If you're a mom here this morning, will you stand? I know, I know you guys hate this, but mom, stand up. We just want to honor you this morning. Yeah, we can clap. Amen. I'm going to try to pray over you guys and not cry, but um, oh, I'm such a mess. Um, but if you're, if you're standing next to a mom and you want to, or if you're sitting next to a mom, you want to just stand and lay hands on her, um, that'd be great as well. Let's, um, let's thank God for these ladies and pray a blessing on them.
Father, um, it's true. You've told us in your word what a big deal it is to be a mom. I mean, beginning back in the book of Genesis, all the way to the fact that the very Savior of the world, born of a woman, moms, the eternal weight of glory that goes with it, raising kids and pointing them to, to you. It's a big deal, Lord. And so this morning, we want to honor the ladies that are standing right now, Lord. We want to ask your special blessing upon them this day. Father, I pray that you strengthen my sisters for the tasks that you've called them to, whether their kids are, are young or they're uh, adults, whether things are good right now or things are rough, Lord, that you would give them an extra measure of grace to be the best mothers they can be, even in their weakness, even when they feel like a failure, Lord, that your grace will be sufficient for them and that you will strengthen them to persevere in the tribulations of this life, that you would help them to rejoice in all of it and that they would rejoice because they know that someday they're gonna be with you forever. Father, we thank you for a chance to pray for them. We thank you for the chance that we have access to your throne. And so we don't take it for granted this morning, Lord. Strengthen my sisters to meditate on this passage, to live it out for your glory and for their good. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray all these things in your precious name.